1: Today on the podcast, is the U.S. ready for the electric car? We talk about some of the obstacles to what everyone says is the future of automobiles. Namely, where are you going to get the electricity to put in your electric car? Hello, you're listening to Parts Per Billion, the weekly environmental news podcast from Bloomberg Law. I'm your host, David Schultz. Given how much greenhouse gas emissions come from the tailpipes of cars and trucks, it's no secret that electric vehicles, or EVs, present one of the most significant climate solutions out there right now. It's a point not lost on President Biden and Democrats in Congress who just passed an infrastructure bill that contained billions of dollars to build new EV charging stations all across America. The hope is that if you know you don't have to go far to charge up your car, the prospect of trading in a gas guzzler for an EV won't sound as daunting. But, as Liliana Byington found out, those charging stations built with the new federal money may not be in the most convenient spaces for road-tripping EV drivers. Liliana is a reporter with our sister news service, Bloomberg Government, and she joins us today to talk about this potential snag and about what those billions of dollars in federal funding will actually go to.
2: Yeah, so the infrastructure law, which, as you mentioned, was enacted in November, included $5 billion to states over five years. So, that's all going to EV chargers. That money is divided up two states and they just got their allocations for that. So they know how much money they can access from that funding, um, but they still need to submit a plan to the federal government about how they would use those dollars in order to access them. Uh, the transportation department And its guidance recommended that they put those chargers as close to the interstate as possible. The infrastructure law also included an additional pot of money for this. It's $2.5 billion that will be given out in competitive grants. So that will be more of an application process. Um, And those would be focused on rural and underserved communities for those chargers.
1: I see. So that's a a lot of money. Um, Who's going to be operating these chargers? Is this going to be the states operate? Are we going to have, you know, Maryland's electric uh, vehicle charging and uh, Arizona electric vehicle charging? Or is this going to be private companies who are running these?
2: Yeah, so a lot of these plans are still being developed, but this money is really intended to kind of spur more private investment. So as it is right now, it's likely that states would hire private companies to install and operate the chargers. It depends on a lot of how a lot of the states are going to develop their plans, but it really is meant to kind of spur a larger effort, more private money to get into this and to really shift the country towards EVs, which is you know a big lift.
1: Well, uh, there's one problem, though. As you just reported recently, uh, these uh, electric vehicle charging stations won't really necessarily be in the ideal locations. Uh, Can you talk about this 1950s law that will prevent them from being on the highway itself?
2: Right, so federal law limits commerce at interstate rest stops to just things like vending machines, lottery tickets, and uh, tourism promotion. So,
1: can I? Sorry to, it's, I, lottery tickets. Why are lottery tickets allowed?
2: It's unclear why those were the things selected, but the the law overall is kind of intended to push business and keep business in the towns and cities where the interstate is close to. So, you know, that was really the intention of it is to get people off those interstates and into the towns and cities since the interstate is, you know, funded by the federal government. They can force people to get off there. And so that's where that 1956 law really came from that prohibited that commerce on the interstate right of way. And there are some exceptions to the rule. Whereas you can, like, if there's an older rest stop that was, you know, not there during the, when this law was created, then that's fine. Which is why you might see still some on the highway. Um, also, if it's turnpikes, toll roads, there's there's exceptions to the law, but largely it prohibited this. Which is why, um, you know, a lot of times you have to pull off to get to a gas station. Um, and although there was a, you know push to change this in the infrastructure law, it was not changed, um, and so this 1956 restriction is still in place.
1: Wow. So bad for drivers, but good for the towns that are uh, near highways that can get the uh, dollars from those drivers. So you mentioned that there was a push to get an exemption for EV charging stations that that in this bill that, you know, they could be among the lottery tickets and vending machines that ultimately didn't happen. Why didn't that happen? Why was that unsuccessful?
2: Yeah. So some lawmakers and EV groups were pushing to have this restriction changed in the infrastructure law, but of course it, it didn't make it in. And I think, you know, part of that was, was the opposition. There are groups that represent fuel retailers that have opposed this because, you know, they say that changing the ban on commercial services at these rest stops would hurt private investment. So that would kind of box out fuel retailers who are on the interstate and it would they argue hurt the private sector from trying to get involved. They want to get in. They'll they'll likely try to install EV chargers as well.
1: Oh, I see. They they want the EV charging stations on their own gas stations, not on the rest stops.
2: Right. They think that the optimal place for EV chargers would be where people are already refueling, um, which would also help their businesses since they are already in those locations.
3: com.
1: Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. So let's talk about how big of a deal this is, because I'm thinking about, you know, when I take road trips, uh, you know, sometimes I have to exit the freeway to find some a gas station and you know, drive around a little bit. It's a little annoying, but eventually I find it. But it's ultimately not a huge deal. Is this going to be ultimately, at, at most, a minor inconvenience for electric car drivers? Or is this could this be a bigger deal?
2: Yeah, I think that that answer really depends on on who you're asking. You know, I've, I've talked to EV groups and, and proponents of this that say that it'll only be more of a deterrent when people have range anxiety concerns already. The federal government's trying to encourage these chargers to be as close to the highway as possible but because they're trying to shift the larger public opinion around getting people in these cars. But, you know, if you talk to fuel retailers and others who say, you know, it shouldn't be a problem if they just have to pull off, like you mentioned, you know, there's there's kind of different opinions. So it's kind of a, a wait and see if this really affects the way that they're doing it, or if they decide to change it.
1: And, and I'm glad you brought up the term range anxiety. And let's dig into that a little bit. That, that's the idea that you know, you're driving your electric car, and you know your battery's running out, and there's nowhere to to refuel it. Um, it seems like that's a big impediment to people buying electric cars, right?
2: Yeah, so I think that people are starting to get more comfortable with them as the vehicles have gotten better at their range, um, but. That's the whole intent behind this money and behind, you know, the Biden administration's push to get out 500,000 chargers within the next decade across the country is to kind of quell that. So I think that that is kind of why whether or not this works will determine, you know, the proliferation of these vehicles. So definitely, they'll think that there are a lot of people concerned about it and hesitant, but there, you know, other concerns with costs and and all kinds of things when it comes to the questions still remaining around EVs.
1: Well, it, it, and that's why it's so interesting because it's like almost a chicken or the egg kind of situation in that people won't buy electric cars if they're not confident they can charge it at a convenient location, but then people won't buy charging stations if there aren't enough electric cars to justify the the demand. So I guess that's what the Biden administration is trying to do here is to just sort of create the, the supply so the demand will follow, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think that that was a big intent behind getting a good amount of money in the infrastructure law is to kind of push the this jumpstart a lot of this investment in places that aren't already seeing some more EVs like California and really push it to to other parts of the country. If you get that federal dollars there, you hope that you push more private dollars that then gets people comfortable in seeing these chargers in more places.
1: But finally, you know, talking about creating demand, there are other uh, governments out there that are creating demand. And what I mean by that is that Several states now have uh, passed laws that would ban the sale of gas-powered vehicles sometime within the next 10 to 15 years. And specifically, New York and California have both passed these laws, which would mean that electric vehicles are going to become kind of the only option at the dealership in the 2030s or, or you know at some point around then. Are we ready for that? Are we ready for a situation where there's just going to be a huge increase in the number of electric vehicles on the road in, in, you know, 10 years or so?
2: Yeah, I think that's something we still are kind of we don't know. I it, We don't know whether the policies are ready for that since we just haven't seen it yet. I think that there are still a lot of questions that people bring up around the electric grid, the capabilities of that, and more rural areas and agricultural producers have brought up concerns about whether this is right for their areas. And so we're kind of seeing a lot of questions that are still unanswered and just things that we don't know. Um, like you mentioned, there are states that are charging ahead on this.
1: Ch- Charging ahead.
2: (laughs) There you go. That are moving quickly ahead on this. And so I think that um, we'll, we'll end up seeing whether or not that the policies are ready as we see more of this expansion move forward. So I think that those questions and whether or not the policies are ready will be answered in that as we see it spread.
1: All right. Well, that was uh, Liliana Byington uh, with BGov speaking to us about electric vehicles. Uh, Liliana, thank you so much for talking.
2: Thanks so much, David.
1: That'll do it for today's episode of Parts Per Billion. It was produced by myself, David Schultz, and Cheryl Sines. Our editors are Chuck McCutcheon and Rebecca Baker, and our executive producer is Josh Block. Reach out to us on Twitter if you have anything on your mind. We use the handle at environment. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you soon. You don't need to be a judge to be interested in our nation's laws and legal institutions, just like you don't need to have a law degree to be curious about the inner workings of courts, law firms, and law schools. That's where we come in. My name's Adam Allington, and I'm the host of Uncommon Law, a podcast from the Bloomberg Industry Group. Uncommon Law is where public policy, storytelling, and the law are combined. We explore big topics ranging from tech policy to free speech to race and gender diversity. So please give us a listen. You can subscribe and download today. Just search
0: for Uncommon Law wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it.